I want to let you know about what's coming next week. We are starting a new series here at Frontline on November 5th, next weekend. And we're gonna, the, the series is going to be called Netflix and Chill. And some of you know what that means, and others of you are going to find out later when you Google it. Um, but essentially, this is a series here at Frontline that's going to be all about sexuality in our culture. It's going to be about the messages that, that we receive all day long from our culture. And, and what does the Word of God have to say about sexuality? Because the Bible actually talks about it a lot. And uh, our culture talks about it a lot. So we thought, we at church, we should talk about it a, a little bit too. So um, we're going to start this series. And it's, the focus of it is going to be, um, how do we talk about sexuality and issues of sexuality in our culture today? Uh, and how do we do that as the people of God, as the church? How do we talk to our kids? How do we talk to our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers? How do we talk on social media about these issues in a way that's winsome, in a way that's full of grace, and yet in a way that still honors God? And so that's what we're going to talk about. And we're also going to be discussing with this series, how can God heal us from our own sexual brokenness? How does God want to enter in and to, to heal us in areas where we have brokenness in our lives because of our sexual past? So I think it's going to be a powerful series. It's going to be a great time um, to come. And so the reason we're giving you kind of a heads up a week ahead of time is to say, parents, um, this series is probably going to be rated like PG-13, if I were to kind of put it in those kind of terms. So uh, if you have a sixth grader and up, I would say everything we're going to talk about is going to be completely appropriate. Uh, but we have a ministry called The Block. It's actually for our students all the way up through fifth grade, from birth to fifth grade. And so um, we, we know that that's available, and you know that's available. But sometimes we know some of you bring your kids into church, even if they're younger. Um, and so, again, we think it's appropriate for probably sixth grade and up. But uh, we'll leave it up to you. If you want to bring your child in who's younger than that, feel free. But uh, we just kind of wanted to give you a heads up of what's coming. This series is probably going to be PG-13. You may get a few questions that you're not quite ready to answer after uh, bringing your child in here. Does that make sense? Okay. Did, did that make sense? Okay, good. All right, good. Uh, hopefully that, that makes sense. Awesome. Well, we're going to transition right now into a time of giving. And um, giving is another way that we worship uh, at Frontline. It's a way that we honor God. And so there are three ways to give. And uh, they're right up here on the screen behind me. And so the ushers are going to make their way forward as we receive this morning's tithes and offerings. I just want to mention to you, as we're preparing to give, if you're new here, if this is your first time at Frontline, uh, maybe you came to the event last night uh, with Pumpkin Games. And by the way, thank you. If you were a volunteer and you served at Pumpkin Games, thank you so much for putting that on. It was a great event, a great time. And what we would love to do is if you're new, if you're just visiting us, um, please head out to the orange wall right after this service and take that little tear-off communication card that you were given when you walked in. And um, we would love to actually give you a gift. And we'd love to just connect and hear a little bit more about your experience here at the church. Um, so let me pray and then we'll, we'll begin. Lord Jesus, even as we come before you right now, God, even, even as we sang these songs this morning, God, we, we look to you. Our eyes are on you. Um, we just ask, God, that you would just use us as a church in a mighty way for your kingdom and your glory. Uh, it's just amazing, God, that we get to be a part of things, like a team going to Ethiopia, literally on the other side of the world, and serving and experiencing uh, your goodness and your grace. And then we get to experience events you know, here like pumpkin games and all that. God, we just thank you. And we, we realize it's because of the ways that you've blessed us and the ways that you've met our needs. So, God, would you take these gifts that we're offering today that we offer joyfully, and would you use them for the furthering of your kingdom here on earth so that there is eternal value and eternal glory. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Awesome. 
Well, most of us are familiar with the phrase, money cannot buy you happiness, right? Raise your hand if you've ever heard that phrase, actually. Money can't buy you happiness. Pretty much everybody in the room. You probably heard your mom saying it growing up, right? And we just know this to be true. Money cannot buy you happiness. The thing is, uh, it turns out researchers are doing a lot of work right now and books are being written, and it turns out that's actually not true. Turns out money actually can buy you happiness. It can buy you a lot of happiness, actually. But the catch is you have to be willing to spend it in the right way. So this is a book uh, that's, that came out. Um, it's called Happy Money. It's by Elizabeth Dunn and Michael Norton. It's called Happy Money, The Science of Happier Spending. And these are researchers. And what they did is study after study after study, putting to the test the phrase, money cannot buy you happiness, to try to determine, can money buy you happiness or not? And what they determined was actually money can absolutely buy you a lot of happiness, but the trick is you can't spend it on yourself. (laughs) Study after study after study, what they found is when people spent money on themselves and on themselves only, actually their level of happiness went down, right? And that's where we get this idea of money can't buy you happiness. But what they found, study after study showed that the more money you spend on other people, the happier you get. In fact, you you actually do get a lot happier as long as you're spending money on other people. Um, Another book that that came out was called Why Good Things Happen to Good People. It's by Stephen Post. And uh, the subtitle is How to Live a Longer, Healthier, Happier Life by the Simple Act of Giving. And similarly, they did all this research to kind of talk about what giving does for us as we act generously. They say this in the book, Give Daily in small ways, and you will be happier. Give, and you will be healthier. Give, and you will even live longer. Uh, They found that giving protects overall health twice as much as aspirin protects against heart disease. Uh, They also found that giving reduces depression and the risk of suicide in teenagers if they can get turned on to generosity early enough in life. So, there's, there's this idea even researchers are kind of tapping into and figuring out that generosity is actually good for us. And it's not just good for the people who are receiving the generosity, but giving and generosity is actually something that is good for the giver, the people who are acting generously. And instantaneously, when you say that, all of us who grew up in church are like, well, yeah, no duh, we knew that already, right? Uh, because we've grown up in church hearing that statement, hearing um, those kinds of ideas. In fact, uh, in the book of Acts, Paul quotes Jesus in Acts 20 verse 35 as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I bet you for those of you who grew up in church, you'd raise your hand and say, yeah, I've heard that all my life. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And, and most of us who are followers of Jesus would say, I believe that's true. I really believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. The problem is most of us, even followers of Jesus, are living our lives as if we believe the opposite of that is true. And as a result, we aren't experiencing the blessing that comes when we act with generosity and when we, when we become radically generous and intentionally give uh, in our lives. Today, we're wrapping up our Zeros Not Heroes series. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, what, what we're doing is we're talking about our vision as a church. And so uh, the word zero encompasses our vision as a church. So we've said it every week of the series. I'm going to say it one more time. Our, our vision as a church is that uh, Frontline is not done until there are zero people living unchanged by Jesus in our world. Frontline is not done until there are zero people living unchanged by Jesus. And so there are these five zeros that make up our vision. 
And every week we've talked about them. Uh, we, t- we began talking about zero lost people. We believe as a church, we're not done until there are zero lost people in our community. Zero people unconnected to the body of Christ and community. Um, we talked about zero gods before God, to be radically surrendered to God first in our lives. Uh, and then last week, David and Brad, I thought, just did an excellent job talking about um, the, this idea of zero unfulfilled callings, to run toward, we're called to run toward brokenness in our world, and, and that all of us has a calling to live out. So today we're going to wrap up the series by talking about the last zero, and the last zero is zero needs among us. That's what we're talking about today. What does it mean as a community to say our vision is to see zero needs among us? This idea of zero needs among us comes from a passage of Scripture. I want to remind you if you've heard it before. Uh, it's from Acts chapter 4. So to set the stage, uh, this is the early church, and the Holy Spirit is moving in the early church, and this is, Acts chapter 4 is just describing the kind of lives people were living in the early church and the kind of dynamic that was happening as the Holy Spirit was moving and people were coming to Jesus. It says this, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. What motivated the disciples in the early church was not that, hey, we we managed to raise 600 cans of soup for the homeless, or we, we got 200 backpacks or 100 winter coats for kids or whatever. Not that those kind of number goals are bad. In fact, we've, we've done a lot of that kind of stuff. Even a couple months ago, we had, uh, if you remember, we had a goal of getting to 100 shopping carts filled with hygiene items for our essential store. So it's not that th- those things are bad, but what motivated them? What was underneath those kinds of projects? Hey, 600 cans for the homeless. What motivated them was that we would be able to look around the church, look around our immediate community, and that the Holy Spirit would be working in our midst in such a way that there would be no needy people in our midst. That's the motivator. That was what was underneath it all. Um, now, what I want to be very, very clear on, because there's a certain place our minds go as soon as we hear those, those verses, uh, what I want to be really, really crystal clear on is this passage of Scripture was not a passage about politics and economics. Okay, it, that wasn't a description of how do you get the right economic policy, although that's important. It wasn't a, a, a descriptor of here's how you elect the right candidate. Acts chapter 4 is describing how the kingdom of God manifested itself in the lives of everyday people like you and like me in the local church, in the church where people were interacting and living life together. We looked around one day. And there was no more needy people among us. It was such a powerful statement. Now, instantaneously, as soon as I say that, I think I know where your brain goes. It's pretty much the same place my brain goes. Immediately, I hear that or I read that passage and I'm confronted with that picture. And immediately, it's like, that's great, Brian. That's awesome. I I love this idea of radical generosity. I love the idea of zero needs among us. But here's the thing. What about my needs? Because here's the thing. I've got some unpaid bills right now. Uh, and I've got a, a kid who's a junior in high school, and next year he's going to graduate, and I don't know how we're going to pay for his college. And uh, maybe for you, it's like, I've got this car, and it's breaking down, and I need some money to fix it. I don't know how we're actually going to get the car fixed, and I've got to have the car to get to work. So this is all great, generosity, radical generosity, but, but how in the world 
what about my needs? How am I going to get my unpaid bills met? And that's totally legit. Uh, and so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at a passage of Scripture from the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 4 that talks about just exactly that. Um, what's happening here in this passage is Elisha, the prophet of Israel, encounters a woman with some desperate needs. She's got some unpaid bills, um, very significant needs. So to set the stage a little bit as we go into this story, and as we just ask God to show us ourselves in this story, um, basically at this time in Israel's history, Israel had become a divided kingdom. It was quite a bit of time, uh, quite a bit of unrest, a lot of political unrest that was happening. And in fact, the nation had been uh, divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And so Elisha spent most of his time as a prophet in the northern kingdom um, of Israel. And so what Elisha was doing is he had gathered together about 20 to 50 of these guys that he was like pouring his life into. They were understudies of him. Some could call them the minor prophets. That was a little Bible humor there, but... You guys didn't get it, so I'm just going to move on. Um, so he had these 20 to like maybe 50 guys, and he was just pouring into them. And they were going around together, and they were preaching God's word, and they were calling people to return to God during this time in their nation, and just asking, asking the people to be radically committed to God. And so this is what is happening. And so this woman um, in one of these towns they're in, she comes to Elisha, and here's what she says, verse 1. One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out. So this is a widow of one of the guys who was one of these 20 to 50 minor prophets that were just following Elisha around everywhere. And she says, my husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. Listen to the bitterness of her words. My husband who served you, Elisha, is now dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. You know what she's doing here? She's gouging Elisha with these words. She's twisting the knife a little bit. She's angry, and rightfully so. She's saying, look, my family has served God. I've, I've, my husband was committed to you. He followed you around everywhere, and now he's dead and we have all these bills racked up that we can't pay. We have no way to pay. And now the creditor is coming. And she's saying, like, my sons are going to get taken away from me and sold into bondage, into slavery, because we can't pay our bills. Now, now what I want you to, to um, see in that is a simple question is, what question is she asking Elisha? In fact, is there a question she's asking him? No. There's no question. It's not like she's coming to him saying, hey, Elisha, I'm in a really rough situation. Can you do this? Can, can you, could you help me out with this? I'm wondering if somehow the other prophets could get together and they could do this for me. There's no question here. She's not asking for anything. She's just freaking out. That's all she's doing. There's absolutely nothing she's asking for. It's just, well, you know, my husband, you know he's how he served you. Now he's dead and, you know, now uh, I'm in this bad place and all these bills have racked up. And he, even though he served the Lord, look at the position we're in and She's just freaking out. There's not even a question. She's not asking for anything. And instantaneously we read that and we go, oh, I've been there, don't we? We know what that feels like. We've all in this room, all of us have been in some place in our lives where we were just freaking out. We were just overwhelmed by the needs that were facing us in our life. And it was just kind of like, I have no idea how I'm going to overcome this. Now, just so you know, 
um, what the thing that she's saying is very legit. When she says, my two sons are going to get taken away from me and sold into bondage, um, according to the Old Testament law at this time, a person who is in debt and without the means of uh, paying or, or offering up some kind of collateral could actually be forced into bondage as a servant. Leviticus 25 talks about how a person would be forced into bondage if that happened, or their children could also be forced into bondage to pay off their creditors. Um, and that was going to be, it would be that way until the year of Jubilee. So every 50 years, there was a year called the year of Jubilee in which God commanded his people to cancel all the debts and everybody got to return to their family land. And the reason God commanded that is because uh, it, was a way, it was like a socioeconomic reset button every 50 years that God would hit as a way of keeping the rich from just getting richer and richer and richer and richer while the poor just keep getting poorer and poorer and poorer. But basically, until, during this period of time, until that year of Jubilee hit, her sons could be taken away from her and sold into bondage and slavery. She is freaking out. So what I want to do is I want to talk about these three words. Fear, scarcity, and worry. When we're freaking out, these three words are our worst enemies to good decision-making in our lives. Fear, scarcity, and worry are the things that just emerge in our lives. In fact, I'm willing to bet if you think back on some of the moments in your life where you have just been freaking out, if you think back on some of the worst decisions you have made that you've gotten yourself into, and now you're just like, oh, why did I do that? I bet you these three words were some of your closest friends during that period of time in your life. Fear, scarcity, and worry push us into all kinds of bad directions. Fear is the voice in our head that says, no one cares. No help is coming from the outside. I am here all by myself. That's the voice of fear. Scarcity is the voice in our head that says, there's not enough for all of us. There's not enough to meet everybody's needs. And so therefore, grab all you can for yourself. Cling to it with a white knuckle grip. Make sure you look out for number one first and you've got everything taken care of you because there's not enough for all of us. And then the voice of worry is the voice that says, I'm helpless. There's nothing for me to do. There's nothing I can do. I'm just helpless here in this situation. The greatest antidote to worry in our lives is action, right? The voice of worry, though, tells you there's no action to take. I'm just, I'm helpless. There's nothing I can do. And then that, our heads just spin, right? Worrying is actually not taking action. It's just allowing our heads to spin with all these things we're worried about. This woman, she, there's no question. She's not saying, hey, could you do this? There's no action plan. It's just, she's just freaking out. Fear, scarcity, and worry. So let's look at uh, how Elisha responds, if we could. He, he responds by saying, what can I do to help you? <laughs> right? So right away, he's like, okay, you're freaking out. He asks the question, what, what can I do? What can I do to help you? Then he says, tell me, what do you have in the house? So he, he invites her to begin with what she already has. He says, take inventory of your own house, your own life. What do you already have to work with? And her immediate response is, well, nothing at all. But then she realizes, except a flask of olive oil, she replied. Now, olive oil in the ancient world was actually quite valuable. Even though she only had a small flask of it, it actually was something that, that had a lot of value in that time. Uh, olive oil was used for cooking, just like it is today. But it was also used for a, a ton of other daily purposes in life. One could almost call it an essential oil, if you're into that sort of thing. And so she has this flask of olive oil. And Elisha said, 
borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Okay? Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her from the neighbors and friends, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And it was then that the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. Isn't that an awesome story? I mean, come on, who doesn't love a story like that of God like supernaturally providing for someone's needs? I mean, we read that story and instantly it's like, oh, yes, sign me up. How do I get in on that? I would love for God to do some like supernatural provision of my needs like that. I mean, instant, instantaneously, that's such an awesome story. Um, but oftentimes uh, we don't even realize what's happening in the story. God doesn't just give her enough to pay off her debts so her son and her sons aren't sold into slavery, he also gives her enough to live on. Do you notice that? It's this radical abundance. It's not just here's, here's your immediate need, but it's enough to take care of her for her life. And the only thing she brings to the table, the only thing that this woman offers and brings to the table in this equation is some empty containers. That's it. The only thing that's required of her is go to all your friends and your neighbors, pound on their doors, and beg them for all the empty containers you can find want to talk about these three words for a moment if I could. Faith, abundance, and prayer. If fear and scarcity and worry are our worst enemies when it comes to decision making in our lives, these three things are our greatest allies, our greatest asset for good decision making. Faith, abundance, and prayer. Faith is the voice that says, God cares about me, and he is intimately involved in my situation. He sees my need. Faith is a voice that says, uh, like the Bible says, every hair on your head is numbered. God sees every need of your life, and he intimately knows you, and he's intimately involved in my life. Abundance is the voice that says, God has provision that I don't even know about. If scarcity is the voice of, oh, there's not enough for all of us to go around, I got to cling to everything that I have, with a white knuckle grip, abundance is the voice that says, I believe God has abundance. I just don't even know what it is yet. But he's got a way to meet my needs, even if I don't see it right now. And prayer is the voice in our heads that says, I have a voice. I'm not helpless. I'm not without any kind of hope. There's something I can do. First Peter 5, cast your anxiety, cast your cares upon God, for he cares for you. Prayer is us offloading, bringing, bringing God our request and saying, it's yours, God. It's not mine. I, this is too big for me. I need you to take this. I need you to enter into this situation in my lives. Faith and abundance and prayer. Um, going around uh, to her neighbors and pounding on their doors and begging them for vessels, empty containers, is an act that requires faith, abundance, and prayer. I mean... <laughs> Could you imagine some of the conversations? You're at your house and you get a knock on the door and you open the door and it's your neighbor. She's like, I, I need you to give me all the empty jars you have in the house. Why? 
Well, well, I don't really know why, but, uh, but you, God's going to do something. He's going to meet my needs. I believe that's what he's calling me to do, and so I just need all your jars. Uh, okay, all right. I mean, can you imagine how these conversations went with her friends and neighbors? This is what she was asked to do. Go, go and, and get all these. The only thing she brought to the equation, the only thing she brought to the table was her willingness to have enough faith, abundance, and prayer to go knock on her neighbor's door and bring some empty vessels to the, contain, or to the, uh, to the equation. Now, what I want you to see in this passage, the thing that I really, for me, this is what's fresh about this passage for me. I've read this story a bunch of times in my life. And what's been fresh to me as I was preparing for this message and thinking about this, as I came to this passage again, is the idea that, I don't know if you noticed it in the story, but did you notice the oil only ran out when she ran out of containers? The, the miracle stopped happening only when her sons had no more containers. She says, quick, give me another oil container. She's pouring all this oil in and it just keeps going and going out of this little tiny flask. And her, her sons are like, we've, we've gotten, this is it. We've got all of them. And it's at that moment when she gets down to zero containers, that's when the miracle stops. That's when the oil stops flowing. And, and the reason that that's fresh to me is because I believe that God wants to do so much more in your life, in my life, in our church. I just think God wants to do so much more. He, he is generous beyond what we could possibly imagine or think about. He has provision that we don't even know about. But oftentimes, the limiting factor for the miraculous outpouring of God in our lives is the size of our own container. The thing that oftentimes is the limiting factor for God's outpouring of generosity to us is just how big a container are you willing to hold up to God? So that's the question I want us to wrestle with this morning. How big is your container? How big is the container that you're willing to hold up to God in your life for him to, to pour out his generosity God's generosity swells to whatever the size of the container it is that we offer to him. That's the only thing this woman brought to the equation. God's generosity swells to whatever the size of the vision or the dream that we have. And so as you think about what does that mean for us as a church? Well, if, if the goal or the dream or the vision, if the container is 200 needs met, well then okay, 200 needs met, God can provide that. If it's 300 needs met, if it's 400 needs met, that's a, that's a different size container. But if the vision is zero needs unmet, well, that's a much bigger container, isn't it? In fact, that's such a huge container, the idea that there would be zero needs unmet, that there is no way that container could possibly be filled without some kind of miraculous outpouring from God, without some kind of supernatural provision from the Lord. So you want to hear about some supernatural provision? Uh, since we started this vision, Zero, um, we have started on this side of the building a community resource center. Um, there's 50,000 square feet on this side of the building that, that sat empty for the better part of 10 years. And uh, we had this vision that it would become a community center one day, but it just lots of starts and stops. It just wasn't going. And it wasn't until we really locked into this vision uh, of zero, zero needs among us, God began opening up some doors. And so now it's called the Storehouse of Community Resources. And um, it's led by Nora Reuter and Jessica Johns. And then um, Jen Knapp, uh, actually at our church, oversees our part of that. Our part of the, of the storehouse over here is an essential store and a teacher's resource store. And so every month we get these shipments of equipment in from World Vision. 
and they sit on these pallets, and we have partnerships all throughout our community, and we actually are one of the partners in the community. We're one of the nonprofits in the community that comes and takes some of the resources, and we run an essential store and a teacher's resource store. So teachers can come in who uh, have, who teach here in Grand Rapids, who have, um, they qualify because over half of their students um, qualify for the assisted lunch program, so they're in poverty. And so um, they can actually come and take resources that they can use in their classroom and bless students with. And so just to give you some data on, on what's happened, since we started this, this community resource center last year, uh, the impact of the community is about 22,000 adults and children. 22,000, my friends. Our church ain't anywhere near that big. Our church is just not that big. World Vision continues to send a monthly shipment of about, uh, the monthly shipment is around 26 pallets on average. The last couple of them that have come through have been um, around 50% classroom supplies because of how many people are taking resources from the, from the community, um, from the teacher's resource area. Um, as of September 1st, 2017, 18 partners, uh, 18 nonprofits here in our community had shopped and taken over $310,000 worth of resources. $310,000 worth of resources have been pumped back into the community and nonprofits around here trying to make a difference and create a hand up versus a handout kind of model in our community. Isn't that amazing? Now here, here's what's really amazing to me with this, and this is what I want you to get. Do you guys realize the only thing we have brought to the table in that equation, the only thing we've offered is a giant empty container? Do you realize that? All we offered, all we brought to the equation was a giant 50,000-foot container on this side of the building. That's it. I, I haven't asked you for $310,000. You haven't given, we just offered a giant container, and God is filling up that giant container to capacity, and it is overflowing into our community. Do you get that? God is able to supply all our needs. He has provision we don't even know about. All we, all we do is we bring an empty container to God, and he fills it to overflowing. Jessica Johns, um, we had a day uh, when we had a whole bunch of teachers come over right at the beginning of school and take uh, resources for their classrooms. And Jessica was telling me about just a testimony from one of the teachers. She was so excited and she was grabbing this backpack. And so she begins to tell Jessica, she says, yeah, in the school where I teach, she said, um, last year and this year, uh, both, she's going to have a student. And last year she noticed a student was carrying around all of his items, all of his school items in an Aldi sack. You know what I mean? Like an Aldi plastic grocery sack. And so she was so moved by this kid and, and just his situation that she went out. This is a teacher in Grand Rapids Public, by the way, you guys. Went out and bought, with her own money, bought a backpack for this kid, one of her students. And she said, she gives him this backpack, and she said, I just, I couldn't believe the smile on his face. And, and upon giving him this backpack, she knows he's engaging more. And he's, he, there's an effort there that wasn't there before. And so she began to bring in, in the winter, she was bringing in her, her own snow boots, and she was letting him use her snow boots so he could go out to recess and play because he had none. And, and just more and more, he's just engaging. And by the end of the school year, uh, the backpack had fallen apart, and so he was back to the plastic Aldi sack. And so she said, so we helped her. <laughs> But at the beginning of this school year, we helped her fill a brand new backpack full of all these resources and all these supplies. And she says to Jessica, I cannot wait to see this kid on the first day of school. I cannot wait to see the smile on his face when I hand him this backpack. And, and just to see what this is going to do for him. See, there, there is a lie that we have believed, my friends. We've swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. 
And the lie that we've believed is that this world runs on fear and scarcity and worry. And there's no help coming from the outside. So just get everything you can for yourself and hang on to it with everything you've got and worry, 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 worry. And it's a lie. I know why the kid with the plastic Aldi sack smiles. It's because he is learning something that you and I tend to forget. It's that God is a radically generous God. God is a radically generous God. He has provision we don't even know about. And oftentimes the only limiting factor in our lives for the, for the miraculous things that he wants to do is the size of our own container that we bring to the equation. God wants to bless people. Not only that, God wants to bless people through you and through your generosity. And God wants you to be blessed as you do that. It's an amazing thing. Uh, A couple of years ago, right after we had started this vision of zero needs among us, um, some of you may remember this, at the end of of a sermon, I took a box full of envelopes and I dumped them out on the stage. And inside these envelopes, uh, some of them had $5, had a $5 bill in it. Some of them had a $10 bill in the envelope. And some of them had $20 bills in the envelope. How many of you remember that? How many of you were actually here and kind of, okay, a lot of you can remember that. And uh, so the idea was, um, the reason that they were different amounts is because God doesn't bless us all equally. And that's a whole other sermon for another day. But that's, uh, but that's, so we put these different amounts in, and here's what we said at the end of the sermon. We said, just come on up and grab one of these envelopes and take it with you. It's for you to have, but here's the deal. Here's what you're committing to if you come up and take one of these envelopes. You're committing to going out and blessing somebody this week with, with that money. You're, you're committed to taking that envelope. The only rule is you can't spend it on yourself. You have to spend it on somebody else and bless them in some other way. And the stories we got back from you, I mean, some of you, you just lit up. This was like the best thing ever. It increased the joy in your life like you wouldn't believe. We just heard story after story of creative ways people took that money and God would like surface a need that week and they'd be like, I've got this envelope, here you go. And, they'd, and God, they would just see how God would use them and, and the joy that would flow into their lives. And so the next week we came back and we were celebrating the stories and my comment to all of you was, and now think how much joy you'd have if you actually used your own money to go and do that. And at least like two of you took me up on that offer. It was awesome. (laughs) Uh, I wish that I could do something like that today. I wish that I could pour out another bunch of envelopes today, uh, but I can't. And so um, I actually, as your pastor, I need to have a conversation with you. And um, this is, I've really wrestled this week with how to say this and how to, how to enter into this conversation. Um, because uh, I, one thing you need to hear is that these messages are planned for months in advance. So for months, we've had this message planned on this date to talk about radical generosity and living intentionally generous. And um, I had no idea when we put this date on the calendar where we would be as a church. Um, but I feel like what I need to do is I just need to let you know, as, as we approach this week, I felt like God just said, you just need to be honest. So I need to let you know that right now, Frontline... Uh, is in the toughest place financially that we have been in in a decade. And, um, you know, the economy is up. Some people are saying this is the best economic climate we've seen in a decade. And um, the the offerings at Frontline just continue to go down and down. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm kind of baffled by it. We, uh, it's, it's caught us off guard a little bit. We, just to let you know, um, 
And, and just, by the way, we, you see this every week in the bulletin, right? I mean, we don't try to hide this from anyone. It's, it's there literally every single week when you open the bulletin. Um, but uh, we kind of went into this year, when we saw the offerings were kind of going down, we said, okay, this year, our, our fiscal year ends at the end of May, and a new one starts in June. And so we reduced our budget to try to live within our means a little bit better uh, at June. I don't think we even told you this. I don't think we announced it or anything, but we cut our budget by 10% as a church. And there were years where we increased the budget because the giving just was going up. And, but this past year, we decreased it by 10% to try to, um, to live within our means. And that was a, quite a big cut for us. Um, but the truth is, here last Sunday in October, we still are not making it. And um, things are going backwards. And what's really weird is, uh, you know, we kind of planned for June, July, and August, the giving to be lower at the church. Uh, I mean, we just, we kind of figure, okay, people go away on vacation. But then like September and October, we fully expect people to come back from the summer vacation and the giving to come back up again. And, and that just has not happened. In fact, our giving in September was lower than our giving in August. And so uh, myself and the rest of, I think the entire leadership team of Frontline, we're all just standing here kind of scratching our heads right now, like going, what, what is going on? Uh, it's kind of baffling. And so here's what, here's what you need to hear, um, and I want to say this to you because it's true. I love coming into work right now. I'm serious. I can't wait to get here in the mornings. Uh, I can't wait to go into our teaching team meetings with some of the, the young guys that we have on staff. I can't wait to go into staff meetings and, and meetings. There's, there's so many exciting things that are happening right now in the church and with the storehouse and with the South Campus. And um, that God is doing some incredible things, and I, I love the staff we have right now. I love coming into work every day. And the reason that's significant is because I didn't always feel that way. In fact, a couple years ago, it was not that way at all. If you've been a, a part of Frontline, um, you know, for the last couple years, you know we've gone through some really difficult staff transitions uh, over the last couple years that have been really challenging. And there were plenty of days where I got up in the morning and I, I was dreading going into work, dreading meetings I was going to have to be in, dealing with some of the situations that we dealt with with staff. But what I want to say to you is there's none of that now. It truly isn't. I don't feel that way at all right now. I, the staff we have right now, I believe God has, has put together a staff that is young and is hungry for God and hungry for what God wants to do in them. And I believe that we're, we're in store for some of the most exciting years of ministry we've ever experienced as a church. I really believe that. I believe there are some exciting days ahead, my friends, in terms of what God wants to do. And yet, I, I, I've been carrying this burden, um, just watching the, the giving and the offerings uh, for the last few months. And so as we came to this message, I'm like, gosh, I'm going to talk about radical generosity. What do I say? How do I, I, how do I deal with this? Um, I felt like what God said to me is, Brian, don't give in to fear and scarcity and worry. And by the way, those three things are right there for me too, just like they are for you. I could freak out right now, believe me. That's, that's not a far jump for me. And I felt like God just said, you need to step into faith and abundance and prayer. And so what I feel like I'm supposed to do this morning is I'm supposed to offer myself as the empty container. So I, I'm the empty container this morning talking to you. And the reason I'm calling myself an empty container and the reason I feel like that's what I'm offering this morning is I have no idea how to fix this. I have no idea what's going on. I don't, I don't get it. I'm not sure. I'm baffled by it, to be honest with you. I am an empty container. 
But what I felt like God's been saying is, you know, Brian, you're not called to shoulder and carry this burden by yourself. We are the church. We're family. And we're all called to this ministry together. And it won't happen unless we're all in it together. And so I felt like God said, your job is to just come as an empty container and let me fill it. So my job this morning is just to tell you, I, like, so nothing, it's, it's God's job to tell you what to do with that. Okay? However he's going to do that, and I don't know, honestly. Um, I don't really have a, an answer or a suggestion. I feel like it's my job just to say, here's the reality, here's the situation. And I believe God is a radically generous God who has abundance that we don't even know about and absolutely can meet our needs. He's in this with us. He's with us right now. And so my job isn't to put guilt and condemnation or any of that kind of stuff on you. That is absolutely not what I'm going to do. But my job is just to present it, and it's God's job to speak to you about whatever you, it is that you feel called to do with that. So I present that humbly today and just put it out there, and that's... That's the reality of where we are as a church. Um, we wanted to close this series, not just this message today, but this entire series, uh, by taking communion together. And that was intentional. And so maybe you grew up in an in a environment where it was called something different, like the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper or something of that nature. Um, but basically, the reason we wanted to close out this series talking about uh, communion, but we, we wanted to talk about radical generosity and close out the series is because communion is a celebration of the most radical act of generosity that has ever happened in the history of the world. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God generously, radically gave his only son. And so on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and the cup. For us, it's represented in a cracker and a, a vial of juice. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. I'm giving it on your behalf. This is my blood that has been shed for you. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. And so for centuries, Christians, followers of Christ, have been gathering around these sacred elements, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus and the cracker and the juice. And, they, and when we take it, it's a holy time where we remember the cross. We remember the sacrifice for us. And we celebrate the fact that it wasn't our own merit. It wasn't our own talent, our own abilities that, that saved us and brought us salvation. It was God's radical act of generosity because he is a good, good father and he is a radically generous God. And he, it was poured out for us, his blood and his body on the cross. And that's how we're saved. We're saved not through our own merit. We're saved through the radical act of generosity of God. It, by, through our faith and by grace, we're saved and made whole. And so this morning is a time to take communion. And maybe for you, it's the first time you'll ever take communion. You'll say, God, and maybe for you, this is the day you say, I'm all in for you, Jesus. I confess you as Lord of my life. You can have it all and you accept Christ today as you take communion. For others of you, maybe it's just a day where you just remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And so here's what I'm asking as we wrap up the series. Um, I'm asking you as we take communion this morning to at, wrestle with the question, what are you risking for zero? I want to call you as the church to risk for this vision, for zero. So maybe it's trusting God in the area of giving. We've talked about that today. Um, maybe it's inviting a lost friend. Or, and we've talked about that throughout this series. Maybe there's somebody that God is tapping you on the shoulder to say, that person, what, what are you willing to risk to get them here? Um, maybe it's running after a calling. Last week, David and Brad talked about that. What, do you, what are you going to risk to run toward brokenness and run toward the calling that God has on your life in our world? But I, want you, I want you to wrestle with that as we go to communion. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to offer a prayer, and then, um, the worship team's going to 
start in uh, on a song, and we're going to have a time of worship together. And as soon as they start playing, you're welcome to come forward. There are tables in the back. There are four tables. Uh, two of them are back here, so if you're in the back part of the room, it'd be great if you'd go that direction. And then there are two tables here in the front on the sides. And uh, you can come forward as soon as um, the band starts playing and take the cracker and the juice. Don't feel like you have to take it right away. You can grab it and you can take it back to your seat. And just as we worship, whenever you're ready, this is meant to be just a time of reflection. You can take it, the elements on your own, um, whenever you're ready, as we're worshiping. Sound good? All right, let me pray for us. And then we're going we're gonna to go for it. God, it's just... As we come before you right now, as we gather around the body and the blood of Jesus, uh, God, we come with our own needs right now. I can't even imagine the needs that are represented in this room. The number of people that are here in this room, God, the, the needs that are here, there are many. And yet we, we gather around a cracker and juice that represent that God is a radically generous God who saved us by his radical act of generosity that has broken the back of fear and scarcity and worry in our world and, and has provided for us in ways that we can't even imagine. So God, we remind ourselves of that this morning. We ask you to speak to us and what it is you're calling us to risk for the vision that you've called us to as a church. And God, again, not for our glory or not for so we can take credit for it, but God, we wanna be part of a movement of your Holy Spirit. In, in Grand Rapids in these days, in this time that we find ourselves in. So God, would you do that? Would you, would you remind us again of the cross? Would you remind us again of our provision as sons and daughters of the living God? And would you call us, God, to the life you've called us to live, to the blessings that you want us to experience as we follow after you? It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said,